Welcome to Top Shelf at the Merrick Library with your host, Carol Antak. Mayday, Mayday listeners, for this episode, we will be joined by returning guest author May Cobb to talk about her latest thriller, A Likable Woman. So listeners, please join me in welcoming back the marvelously magnificent May Cobb. Carol Ann, thank you so much for having me back. You know, I adore you completely, and it's such a joy to be back on talking with you. Thank you. The title of the book is A Likable Woman. I don't even know where to go with it because for me, you are one of the most amazingly likable authors that I know. And man, you have had a heck of a summer between the book launch, the amazing book tour, the television appearances, and there's some very exciting news about another one of your books. So before we even get to A Likable Woman, if you wouldn't mind, please tell listeners the incredible news about your second book, The Hunting Wives. Thank you for asking about that. I'm happy to plug this wondrous news. So I found out about a month ago, I think, that The Hunting Wives, my second thriller, is being made by stars into an eight-episode season. And I'm absolutely thrilled. It's Erwin uh, Stoff with Lionsgate is producing, and he has Julia on Cinemax, and he's strong on the TV side. And then before that, he produced The Matrix. And then there's a, an amazing showrunner, Rebecca Cutter, attached, and she is of Hightown fame. That's another star show. And it's just been, it's just been the best news ever for this little girl from East Texas. So you get the phone call that the project has been greenlit? Like, what happens? Who calls you first? How do you find out the news? So I did know that stars had picked it up before the strike, and I knew a writer's room had been formed, and they had passed the episodes in the case, whatever. But all that kind of goes out the window during the strike, because you don't know things are getting cut, and it hasn't been announced, so nothing's official. And I was having not the best of days and it was at night and I was actually sitting at my computer, very despondent. And I looked down and the phone's lighting up and it's the producer. And it's like, and it was literally two days after the writer strike ended. And he said, May, they have ordered the series. And I was speechless. And then I got off with him. I staggered out into the hall and I just like wept in my husband's arms it was it was unbelievable. And then my agent and my freelance editor FaceTimed me and we were on for about an hour. And then Hubby and I got into the champagne. It was great. <laughs> as you should. As you should. And I'm not going to lie, when I first started seeing the Instagram or social media posts about the Hunting Wives going forward, making this into a stars series, I mean, I opened up the Prosecco. I am not going to lie. I did it on your behalf. <laughs> Oh my gosh, thank you so much. That means the world to me. The the very drink of choice of the characters of The Hunting Wives. Which is 100%, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did have that in my mind and I thought, all right, ladies, here we go. We're going to toast in. <laughs> New York is toasting East Texas right now. So 
the pitch is made to the studio, do they get a outline that you have written? Like, what did they see uh, other than like a verbal pitch from, I guess, a showrunner or whomever? So the book was optioned just based on the book. And I didn't have to do anything. My marvelous film agent handles all that. But then the producer got the showrunner attached. She did, if I'm remembering correctly, did write like her, they call it their take of the show. And they responded with great enthusiasm on that. Then the writer's room got ordered, which is a really big deal and and a good step in the right direction. But again, with bated breath, you wait until you get that series order because, you know, shows fall apart. (laughs) And so I just, yeah, I still really can't believe it's happening. And I cannot imagine that the hunting wives would fall apart. And I fell apart when I was reading it. But... (laughs) And so did probably a lot of readers because that book is, wow, my first real introduction to East Texas, which I loved taking that journey, which is why I will read everything you write, because you put me in these places that this Brooklyn girl would never imagine she would ever go to. So you go out to L.A. recently because, of course, as I said, I follow everything you do on social media. You go out to L.A. You have like this quick turnaround. I don't know if it was 12 hours, 18 hours, whatever it was to talk to people about the show, about The Hunting Wives, and you get to meet someone very special in person, the one and only Josh Sabera. And I am so (laughs) jealous of that. Tell me about that trip and what all of that was like. Well, Josh is just the absolute best, as you know, and we're big Josh fans, Carol Ann and I, and we became friends during the pandemic. And he's been such a, a help with PR for my books and then just a lovely friend. And I also am mad in love with his writing and his two books, Porn Again and Enemies Closer for our listeners. Yep. So getting to meet him was just super dreamy. Like he took me to the Barnes and Noble at the Grove, the big flag bookstore out there. And I got to meet Amanda, who's the manager. And she's been such a huge support of my books. And they had books ready for me to sign. And they had them on nice displays. And yeah, Josh is just so incredible. And I'm so glad we finally met because I decided literally two weeks before I went out there that I was going. And he was like, we've been waiting years to meet. And it was like, I know, isn't it great? So it was amazing to see the two of you in the photos together. And Josh has been on the show. He has great, beautiful books. I just love both of them. And now we can switch gears. And now we get to talk about a book that has gotten so much buzz all spring, all summer. Writers across social media. I mean, I feel like everyone kind of lost their minds over this book with good reason. Your fourth book, A Likable Woman. Could you please give us a little bit of a a pitch for what that book is? Yes. So A Likable Woman follows Kira, who's 30-something, and she lives in LA, and she has for the past few decades. She fled her tiny East Texas town in the wake of her provocative mother's mysterious death. She was just a teenager, and everyone around her gaslit her and said, your mom died by suicide, but Kira never believed it. She was intensely close to her mother, Sadie, but her mother, Sadie, was sort of like a rebel, stay-at-home mom, but made art in her backyard shed, didn't always wear a bra, like chain-smoked, and she was Kira's hero and best friends and made art together, so she never bought that story. 
And she's never returned home since, except for her father's funeral. Anyway, cut to she gets an invitation from a frenemy because that's kind of like Southern female toxic friendships. There's lots of frenemies floating around and um, to her vow renewal party. So she's beckoned back home by that. And then her grandmother, who is this manipulative matriarch of the family, starts texting her, are you coming home? I've got something of your mother's, something that I've been keeping in secret. And I'm, I think you're right about the way she died. So she now has to go back home and her childhood crush, Jack is going to come back. And so she, she gets sucked back in. The book is told from Kira's point of view, present day, but then it alternates between her mother's story because what her mother had left behind was an unfinished manuscript, which really reads as sort of like a letter to Kira. And it's called a likable woman. And it's like a manifesto of how to live your life. And she says in there, don't be like me, don't be a likable woman. So it's a story within a story type of book. And I've, I've always loved that structure. So I purposely set out with a lot of ground rules this time. Unlike my other books, I'm not saying I was just winging it with those, but this one definitely had more of a traditional mystery structure, more of a blocked room. You know, it's set over a weekend and set out in this East Texas farm and there's a finite cast of characters. So it's it's a whodunit, but it's also like a meditation on art and grief and love across the boundaries of time. It's funny you mentioned a locked room. I didn't think of it that way because there were plenty of times during that book I felt a little claustrophobic, like I couldn't get out of that cabin. I couldn't get out of the party that they were in. I just, I just, I never thought of it that way, but that's why you're Maycob and I'm not, right? (laughs) Oh, stop it. But I'm glad it gave you that sense. And I guess maybe more closed circle is probably the more... I know there's like specific definitions, and I think I just messed that one up, but it's probably more like a closed circle than true locked room. But but. I still felt that tightness. I still felt that claustrophobic feeling many times in that book. And I I appreciate you giving that to me because um, that's a really good way of, of explaining it, especially when I book talk it to everyone who will listen to me. I want to focus on the things that makes this a macabre thriller. You write women's relationships in such a realistic way, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And on page one, we see Kira receiving that vow renewal invitation from her frenemy, as you mentioned, Genevieve. So not only does she get this invitation from Genevieve, but the event will take place back in her hometown. And on page four, Kira says, I've put acres of Auburn desert land between me and East Texas, moving as far west as I could without plunging into the Pacific. And man, Kira doesn't want to be anywhere near East Texas. It's a no good situation for her. But in that simple sentence, I'm all ears, I'm all eyes. Why? Why doesn't she want to go back? And I don't know how you do that. May, you build that tension. That's page four. I don't know how you how you do that as a, like I said, that's what makes a May Cobb thriller a May Cobb thriller. Talk about building that suspense so quick. Do you know you're going to start with that? Like, how do you know what sentences to piece together to set that hook and bring someone like Carolyn along for the ride? Well, first of all, thank you so much. That is so extremely kind of you. Um, I honestly, to be perfectly honest, I really, I write from intuition. So I sort of let my subconscious do the heavy lifting 
when I'm doing my job, when I can get out of my own way, when I'm in the flow state, I very much believe Stephen King's thing about stories are buried fossils. They already exist, and our job as writers is to excavate them as carefully as possible. And for me, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's how I write. That's my process, for better or for worse. And for the worst can be sometimes I don't have it all plotted out and I can maybe get into some trouble. But if I'm not writing as an act of discovery, then it's it's like I can feel it and it's dead on the page and flat. So I always want to be writing towards something. I don't know if that answers Yeah, that, that is. And what I love is that you're talking about how you need to feel something. You need to feel that suspense or that kinetic energy that comes off the page as you're writing. And I'm going to refer back to my summer darlings because in that you build it with Will driving by Jen as she gardens. And listeners will remember me asking May about that scene. And once again, I'm in hook, line, and sinker. And in this book, I'm immediately team Kira. I don't know how that happens. And of course, on the page, it looks so simple. But as a writer, you're probably, you know, kind of pulling your hair out. You know when it's going to fall flat. I feel like, you know how those kids watch people play computer games? I would like to just sit in the background and watch a writer write. That's, I would I would like to do that too, because I have so much to learn. <laughs> And again, the things that make May Cobb thrillers and have made me such a fan is you have this talent for bringing out all the things about small towns. For me, your, your books work even better because I've never been to that part of the country. So the lifestyle is fresh. It's new. It's even a little exotic. And the other thing you do is you highlight it's just not small towns in East Texas, but it's in our own neighborhoods. It's in the suburbs. It's in our PTA. It's in high school or college. These domestic dramas or these relationship dramas of the women in these scenarios You never shy away from it, and it's always spot on, and you can actually sympathize and empathize with a lot of your women characters. It seems to me hard work to do that to make some some despicable people um, have a redemptive value, something in there that makes us understand why they're motivated to behave that way. Thank you. That's a, that is a challenging thing, and it's a it's a weird line to walk because I feel like. I just kind of write my truth and I'm very much like Team Kira with those little insights or judgments she has against stepping into the lion's den of her frenemies. Mm -hmm. And so I do have to tamper that with, I want to make her like overly judgmental and I don't want to make everyone so despicable. You have to be able to relate to them. So it is, I'm trying to grow in that way as a writer. But I think you do. I mean, especially in this book, or I'm not going to say anything else about that, and in The Hunting Wives as well. Having said that, I am so curious. Tell me about the inspiration for this book, because I feel like there's more going on behind the scenes. It's very, um, there's a lot of connective tissue in the background, and I'm just curious where that inspiration for the book came from. That's such a great question. Yeah, so for this one, honestly, I don't know if it's because I sort of did start drafting it when the world was still very much locked down, whereas Hunting Wives and Summer Darlings were definitely almost, you know, Hunting Wives was complete. Summer Darlings was all over but the shouting by the time we went into the pandemic. So So I don't know if I just felt like more emotional and weightier, but I did want to challenge myself to not just do another salacious book. I wanted to bookend my, uh, 
my first novel, Big Woods, which was more of an emotional book for me. And I wanted to get back to that. So really the biggest inspiration, I think, is my mom, who is very much like the Sadie character. She uh, once my parents divorced and really even before she kind of came out this way, but once she was not in the junior league anymore, she didn't have any more F's to give about what people thought about her or her children. And it was always so inspirational to me because I'm like a natural born people pleaser. And so to see my mom advocate, stand up to, you know, not take any crap from anyone. And then she's, she also, in addition to being a stay at home mom and working in the graveyard shift as a nurse, she was always creating art. So she, makes intricate boutiques like the one that Sadie makes. And she's sort of is what set me on the path to being an artist. So I really wanted to pay tribute to her. She lives down the street. She's still with us. I don't want to make it seem like she's gone. God, no. Um, She will outlive me, I hope. (laughs) But so in the way that Kira is best friends with her mom, I'm best friends Mm -hmm. with my mom. And I had to go to that dark place of what if I had lost her at that tender age? Mm -hmm. Because part of Kira's emotional arc in the book is realizing at a certain point she has been carrying survivor's guilt and she hasn't been able to move on and pick up her paintbrushes and live her life because her mother was about to have her first art showing when she died. And so it's one of those points of reckoning that Kira has to come to. So yeah. And then also just the East Texas-ness of it all is always a big inspiration. Um, It is a unique place. I'm glad you find it exotic. I'm from there and I still think it's exotic because we were pretty much firmly middle-class Maybe in my early childhood, we would have a taste of the high society. It's a complicated story, but I was always obsessed with the class issue and the oil money elite of East Texas. And just like, ooh, what is going on behind those mansion doors? That's my favorite thing. I'm always wondering about that. And you do that, especially in My Summer Darlings. There's that piece of it. And so the book is out, A Likable Woman, the title, the cover. I love the title. Did you have a different title? Was it always going to be that title? And what do you think of that cover? I love the cover. And the the title, it was always going to be that title. And I got to tell a funny story about the title. The title's a little tongue-in-cheek because when The Hunting Wives and Summer Darlings came out, I was honestly a little shocked at some of the, the more like pearl clutching comments about my misbehaving women and how unlikable they are. And I've got to be like mama bear and feeling oddly protective over them. So for this one, I'm like, you want a likable woman? Here's a likable Here she woman. is. I love that. And I love that your mom was just like, you know what? I'm done. Uh, you guys do what you want. I don't care what you think about my kids. That is a hard place to get to, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She <laughs> she got there and she's still there and it's glorious. But it is, it's not popular still mm-hmm. to be an unlikable woman. And I don't even know why that term exists for women and not for men. Like, I feel like film and TV has really broken that down a lot. Shows like Yellow Jackets and, you know, so many other shows where women are allowed to misbehave and color outside the lines society is drawn for them. But I feel like the, the book community is a little bit behind on that. You know, I'm like, why can't we have a talented Mr. Ripley as a female? And why do we have to discuss it? You know, I was shocked that Sophie and the Hunting Wives got more flack for cheating on her husband 
than than the murderer got for the actual murder. You what know, what the I'm heck like, was that all about? Yeah, and there had to be a reason she was stepping out, which mm-hmm. always infuriated me because I'm like, no, this has nothing to do with him. She's complex. Mm-hmm. She has issues. She's working out, and why can't women have lust and desire like men? He doesn't have to be abusive for her to want to cheat on him. It's something she's going through. She's a whole person. I don't know. It baffles me still. Yeah. So now you and a likable woman are heading to Iceland over the next few days. How excited are you for that? The panels that I've seen in advance are unbelievable. I will be following along on social media. Talk about that, getting that invitation, what that whole conference is all about. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to be going. So it's it's for Icelandic Noir. And I think I could be wrong about this, but I think this is their 10th year. And it got on my radar because Abby with Crime by the Book has been going and moderating and posting about it for the past couple of years. And I'm like, that looks amazing. Like, I love going to conferences anyway, because it's such great camaraderie. And it's so soul affirming to be with other authors. That's the best part about it to me and to meet readers. And so I was so happy that they're letting me come and be a part of it. And uh, wow, I haven't traveled overseas in in over a decade. So it's going to be amazing. And I get to be on a panel with the great Wendy Walker and the incredible Jean Kwok. And I am just like, wow, I can't wait. And I love Abby Crime by the Book. She's wonderful. I follow follow her on all social media platforms as well. This is great. I can't wait to see a likable woman out there in Iceland, as I'm sure all the readers will. And I love that you said that, you know, hanging out with your authors, they're your people. You all know, you have shared experiences. It's so affirming, life-affirming, work-affirming. Like, it's all of those things. Yeah, for a, for a job that's pretty much done in solitude. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we're all, and you can relate on social media so much because you do need that connection. And even though social's great, like, there's nothing that, like, I can't wait to meet you in person one day. You know, like, I it's going to, there's just nothing that tops it. It will be the longest hug in history. Yeah, yeah. And loud as wheels. <laughs> exactly. So because I know how much you like spending time in small towns, do we get a sense that maybe anything you're working on next may place us back in a small town? Anything you can share about that? So oddly enough, my next thriller, which is going to come out next summer, and it is my first thriller that's set outside of East Texas. So it's set in LA and Hollywood, and I'm describing it as rear window meets Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? (laughs) It's about this young woman who becomes a personal assistant to a husband and wife, and she gets swept up in their kind of like toxic marriage. And it's my homage to the erotic thriller films of the 80s and 90s. So like Fatal Attraction, Unfaithful, you know. Oh my gosh, that movie, Unfaithful. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's a movie. Yeah. I love it because Diane Lane is allowed to explore that side of herself. And I so appreciated that about it. That Sometimes that happens. Oh my gosh, May. This is unbelievable. I'm grinning so hard now for this book. Well, and I love that it's always positioned 
right before the summer so that it winds up on my beach towel. And then when someone walks by my beach towel and they say, oh, what are you reading? Even if they don't ask me what I'm reading, I'll tell them (laughs) what I'm reading. (laughs) Thank you. And before I let you go, any book recommendations or book suggestions for our listeners? The holidays are coming. Anything you can suggest? Jesse Sutanto's latest book, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice, For murderers, I don't want to call it cozy, but it's more of that sort of like traditional mystery, but with Jesse's signature, outrageous biting humor. Hysterical, yeah. (laughs) And also um, Wendy's book, I've just been reading it, An American Girl, and it features an autistic protagonist. And man, I'm in awe. You know, my son's autistic and I'm really in awe of how represented that community in this a gripping page turner. And then also Jesse's latest adult psych suspense, in addition to Vera, because Jesse writes about two books a year because she's unbelievably prolific. Um, I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> that definitely for fans of Gillian Flynn and Patricia Highsmith. And I loved that book so much. It is nasty, twisty, juicy. All right. Um, I am all in on that one. And the Wendy Walker is on my TBR. You're going to love it. It's so voicey. And then I always have to shout out Eliza Jane Brazier's Girls and Their Horses. And that is set in the cutthroat world of show jumping. And it's about toxic teenagers and their toxic mothers. And I found it to be delicious, soapy suspense. So if you miss watching Dallas and Big Little Lies, you need to grab this book and become enthralled. I will post all of the links to all of those books on the podcast page for this episode. A Likeable Woman. It's on shelves right now at your local library or your local independent bookstore. A Likeable Woman is published by Berkeley. And I am so thrilled, May, to welcome you back to the podcast. I'm so thrilled you always say yes. So please think about us. And I hope you'll come back for whatever comes next. Thank you so much, Carol Ann. It's always such a pleasure. And I will be DMing you in a moment. (laughs) I'm sure you will. And listeners, thanks so much for joining both of us today. Remember to follow Top Shelf at Merrick Library wherever you find most podcasts. For the latest and the greatest at the Merrick Library, check out our website at MerrickLibrary.org. Thanks to Merrick Library Director Dan Chesmier, Assistant Director Diane Bondi, and the Merrick Library Board of Directors for getting us off the ground and on to the airwaves. Until the next time, remember to keep us on on your top shelf.